Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for worship, for song, for silence, and for fellowship this morning. We thank you for the scriptures, which are the rock of our faith, the foundation of what we believe, the unchanging word of God throughout time. Let us hear your words this morning. Amen. This morning's scripture is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. No one ever asked me what my favorite gospel was that I remember. But I would have told you a year ago that Matthew was not it. But in studying it for the last few months, and especially really the last month, I've really started to enjoy it by accepting um, Jesus' style of teaching. If you've read the book of Matthew, you know that Jesus exaggerates strongly to make his point. So he'll say, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. And we know that's an exaggeration because you can still sin with one eye, right? Throughout the book, he comes back to certain points over and over and over again in a beautiful way that if we will but let it, will teach us what the gospel actually offers us in our daily life, which is an integrated self. A self whose mind and emotions and actions and generosity or lack thereof and how we treat other people is integrated. We're a consistent, non-hypocritical person. That's the offer. So what we're gonna do for the spring is we're gonna look at the book of Matthew, or we're gonna look at the Lord's Prayer And through it, we're going to unpack Jesus portrayed, especially in the book of Matthew. And we're going to see certain things repeated because Jesus was so convinced that we needed strong language 
to understand both the beauty of the gospel and the worthwhileness of avoiding sin. This morning we're going to look especially at the danger of hypocrisy. And for Jesus, hypocrisy didn't have the negative connotation. So when he says hypocrite, it would be more like saying actor. I'm not going to say that because the word in uh, the New Testament is hypocrite, but it would not have sounded as negative to them, except when Jesus was deliberately being negative. We'll see in especially chapter 23. And it's not just that Jesus taught this. He modeled it. I believe that the disciples asked him again in Luke 11 to teach them to pray, not because he had never taught them to pray, but because they would see Jesus rise from his times of prayer, confident and at peace and full of the joy that is what the kingdom gives us. When Jesus preached, he described the good news as a kingdom. Something invisible, but with structure and reality that lives in us until he returns when the whole world will be able to see it. But Jesus didn't just teach it, he modeled it. And I think he uses the kingdom as a metaphor, not only because it's a system with a king, but because of the size of it. Though the kingdom is invisible, it is large. It is an interconnected thing that we receive by faith and then learn ever increasingly to live in light of. Throughout all the Gospels, Jesus will tell stories and those push on our imaginations to understand the kingdom in a more profound way. Jesus will speak very negatively. I'll read some of those passages in a minute to get our attention about the dangers of living one way and believing another, the dangers of spiritual hypocrisy. Jesus heals because he wants us to know what kind of kingdom this is. This is a kingdom that will eventually push back disease and pollution and the effects of sin and evil on the world. He performs miracles so that we know who it is doing these things, and almost all of his healings, especially in the book of Matthew, are designed by him to both show us who he is, but also to accentuate his preaching, which is why we're going to stay locked into uh, the Lord's Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7. What is the offer? What do we receive in the kingdom? I think Jesus explains it most clearly in chapter 11. Chapters 5 and 6 and 7 are um, a description of the with God life in action and in prayer, what it is and what it is not. But this is what we receive. This is from Matthew chapter 11. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is the offer, friends. Make no mistake. 
We live in a world that would naturally encourage us to be divided within ourselves, which is exhausting to believe one thing and live a different way. And Jesus offers rest. And that rest is healing for our very selves and souls. I'm be honest with you. I've never read a book on prayer that I found particularly helpful. I have read lots of books on prayer because I wondered if there was some key that I was missing. The reason that they haven't been that encouraging to me is Jesus is so clear. Sometimes the Bible, you have to work to understand it, right? You're reading the end of Isaiah or Ezekiel. There's some challenge there. Sometimes the poetry of the Bible can be challenging to us because we want straightforward description of what do we do in light of the good news. I love this about Jesus' teaching. When you pray, verse 6, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The reason I'm so excited to preach this is I believe there is sensed joy that we are not experiencing because we don't do this. We don't go into our room and close the door and pray to our Father who is in secret the way that Jesus instructed. I know some of you do, but many of us simply ignore the opportunity to receive Rest for our soul. And I'm not talking about salvation. If Jesus is Lord, you are saved and secure in him. And because of him who gives it, it can never be taken away from you. But in this life, where there are a lot of challenges to joy, we miss the opportunity to receive and sense the good news because we do not do what Jesus said. That's my son. His name's Micah. He's in the other room because he's a little bit tired. And I love picking him up. Because he's my son. And he's joyful. And he could be cuter, but not much. What if I came home every day and just didn't pick him up? You know, fed him or whatever, helped around the house, but never picked him up. That is what we are like when we don't do what Jesus said. And it doesn't make him mad. And how else to explain it other than this? When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who sees in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You don't have a good place to pray at home. Do you know that's always open? That's our hayloft sanctuary. It's always open. Good place to go pray. If it's chilly, turn the heat up. The uh, thermostat's on the back wall by the elevator. It's a good place to go. And using the structure of the Lord's Prayer, because Jesus said, pray these words. No. He said, pray then like this. Using the structure of the Lord's Prayer, all of our concerns 
locally, regionally, nationally, with our family, with our own circumstances, are easy to utilize under the structure that Jesus gives. Jesus modeled a way of prayer and an integrated life, one where our body and our mind and our emotions and our soul are confident of who we are, what work we have in the world, and how to go about it. This is my attempt to explain the positive side of avoiding the hypocrisy that Jesus speaks about so regularly and clearly. Hold this question in your mind as I read a little bit from chapter 7. Jesus, how dangerous is religious hypocrisy? Still getting used to needing these. Jesus, how dangerous is religious hypocrisy? Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Because of all sorts of things, no one's laughing. Probably when people heard this, they were laughing. Not because the point is funny, but because Jesus is exaggerating so wildly. And the people who weren't laughing after verse 3 probably started laughing after this. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is intentionally exaggerating. He does this throughout the book. One of the examples that he gives is giving money away to the church so that you don't have to take care of your aging parents which is the fifth commandment. Very important to them culturally. I think we value it similarly today. That does incredible damage to your own soul and obviously to your relationship with your parents, especially doing it under the pretense of this beneficial religious activity. That's in chapter 15. Jesus says a couple of times in chapter 6, this kind of hypocrisy has its own reward. That's eerie, friends. To do religious things thinking that they'll merit something before God that are not things God has commanded us to do or to do them so that others will be impressed with us, Jesus says has its own reward. One of the eeriest things I believe that he said. As in, oh, I need to pay attention to that. If chapter 7 didn't get you, hold this question again. Jesus, how dangerous is hypocrisy, especially of the religious kind. This is from chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. People talk about Jesus as though he's a different kind of speaker or writer than other authors of the Bible. Make no mistake. He was very clear in warning people about the dangers of sin, and especially in this case of spiritual hypocrisy. And the first thing he teaches us is how not to do it. Don't misunderstand God and think 
that he's impressed if you only pray in public to impress other people, which I don't see here. I don't see any of you doing this down in downtown Simsbury or wherever you live. But the danger is the same. If it had been a different danger in the first century, Jesus would have taught about it differently and less regularly. Also, don't pray in an overly repetitive way, believing that God is pretty powerful but kind of capricious, and once I get to time 104, then he'll answer the prayer. That's a total misunderstanding of who he is. It's not the right way to pray. What do we do? When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What's the reward? Rest. That's not the only reward. We'll talk more about this throughout the series, but doesn't your heart need peace? The world would rob you of it. Your own uh, flesh, to use uh, Paul's description of our self that isn't yet, recon- that isn't yet healed by God, your flesh would distract you from that rest and thereby make you more anxious. That's the reward. Yesterday I was at a funeral and it was uh, troubling for all sorts of reasons that I won't bug you with, both because it was sad and some other circumstances. What did I do? Just remember the Lord's Prayer and prayed it for the people that I knew in the room in their great sadness. Because how comforting. Our Father. We'll talk more about those of us that are challenged um, to relate to God that way. But how comforting when you pray for your children to remember that they have a perfect Heavenly Father. How lovely when you're concerned about the family member that may not be speaking with you that you can still begin your prayer for them with remembering who their Heavenly Father is. I'm going to share with you something that's not going to sound popular for a second. Give me a second. I hate when people say prayer is just talking to God. Here's why. Because it's not. There's more intimacy. There's more life. There's more peace to praying the way that Jesus taught. Now, when people say that, what they mean is, go for it. Don't wait. Because God's not ever unhappy with a prayer that you give. That's true. But sometimes when people say it, I think they just mean be flippant in conversation with God. And yes, be honest with God. The Psalms model that so beautifully. Learn to be totally, straightforwardly honest with God. A friend recently asked me, what's the deal with Psalm 102? Because it's really like ugly emotional language. Yes, be honest with God. But it's not flippant. There is a wrong way to pray. And the wrong way to pray doesn't make God mad. But you will not get as much of a sense of peace from praying while you're driving as you, and I'm not saying don't pray while you drive, although don't bow your head and close your eyes. Very dangerous. But if you don't go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, you will not receive the reward. That's Jesus' words, not mine. 
But whether it's helpful or not to say prayer is just talking to God, whether you all said it this morning and now you're going to have to have a conversation with your kids on the way home or whatever, hear Jesus' words and utilize them and receive the rest of Jesus Christ, which is such a blessing to your neighbors because you'll be better at loving them, which is such a blessing to your coworkers if your heart is at rest and not over-anxious. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you with peace and with an ever-integrated life where you are consistent and confident in your purpose in those that you are to love in the world, in the work that you have to do in the world, and in especially whose you are. Beloved child of this Heavenly Father. A lot of other metaphors, all sorts of things I would enjoy talking about. I think we covered it. Let's pray. Father, we believe you that you are this loving and good. Would you help us to then follow you with our minds and our emotions, with our actions, with what we do, with our stuff and our gifts and our money, our parents and our children, people you've put into our lives. Help us to follow you more consistently, more easily. Remind us to go into our room and close the door and pray the way that you taught and modeled that we might receive even in this chaotic, sinful, crazy world that is also noble and beautiful. That we might receive your peace. Amen.